at the load I'm hauling. Hard work, I hit it harder. Ain't nothing new for a backwoods farmer. Sun up to sundown, backing up traffic all the way to town. Camo hat and a farmer's tan. Cause I'm a working man. Welcome to Fast Line Fast Track, presented by Fast Line Media Group, your innovative consumer resource and marketing partner of choice for the evolving agricultural community. Now, here's your host, Brent Adams. Welcome in to Fast Line Fast Track, your behind the scenes look at Fast Line Media Group and our Fast Line Big Ag and Pink Tractor publications. And do we have a great one for you today? Farm show season is heating up, and in this edition, we'll preview two of the big ones the National Farm Machinery Show in Louisville, Kentucky, and the World Ag Expo in Tulare, California. We'll also visit with our buddy Dustin Collins, who's taking the Fast Line Fast Track theme song from our podcast straight to country radio. And we'll take you back to Hazard to chat with some of the original cast members of the Dukes of Hazard, one of TV's most legendary farm families, on the 40th anniversary of the show's iconic launch. We would like to dedicate this episode to the memory of Terry Jennings, the father of Way Jennings, who was a musical guest on our inaugural episode. Our thoughts and prayers go out to the entire Jennings family. Terry passed away on January 25th, and the following day, Way, at his family's urging, participated in the Dukes of Hazard 40th anniversary celebration to honor the legacy of his grandfather, Waylon Jennings, who sang the show's theme song and served as narrator throughout its run. We will close this episode with Way's live rendition of the Waylon classic, Jack of Diamonds, which was Terry's favorite Waylon song. Way sung the song as a tribute to his father at the Dukes tribute concert held at the Nashville Palace. Our first guest this week is David Beck, president and CEO of Kentucky Venues, which owns and operates the National Farm Machinery Show. This year's show is going to be held February 13th through the 16th at the Kentucky Exposition Center. And David, welcome. Thank you. Great to talk to you today. So David, uh, is uh, this will be his first farm show as uh, CEO and president uh, of Kentucky Venues. Uh, definitely no stranger to the ag community. He spent 41 years in various capacities with Kentucky Farm Bureau, most recently as executive vice president and CEO. Also served as corporate secretary for the Kentucky Farm Bureau Mutual Insurance Company for nearly 24 years. And uh, you, you're actually your uh, involvement with farming goes back even further. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, yes, uh, you know, we're excited about being a part of this program here, particularly with the uh, National Farm Machinery Show. But uh, I grew up in Kentucky, in western Kentucky, grew up on a farm, always interested in agriculture. In fact, as a young person, uh, I would come to this property and we would show and judge and through FFA and all those opportunities. And, uh, and then with Farm Bureau for many years, uh, being a sponsor, being involved with that here, helped recruit the National FFA with Harold and that group. So a lot of connections back to this property. I think back to this farm machinery show and growing up in West Kentucky, there used to be a publication called the Kentucky Farmer, a big tabloid. And I remember being in middle school, us getting our copy at home and mapping out our trip to Louisville because they had all the exhibitors listed. Uh, to be able to think back to those days and all through high school, coming to the farm machinery show and the tractor pull, all through college, uh, and then as an adult, uh, it's been a tradition for me and my family. Uh, never thought about seeing it from this point of view, but it's an exciting show, and we're glad to continue to be in that role. And uh, the show, as we know it, has been held each year since 1965, and now with 860 exhibitors spread out over more than 27 acres, it's the largest indoor farm show in the United States. And uh, with that history going back to 1965, I'm sure that uh, it's uh, it's been a huge tradition for a lot of folks. It really has. And, uh, uh, you know, sometimes you can be too close to the forest to see the trees. And I've spent a lot of time in recent years just walking around the property. And uh, over 1.3 million square feet, 
Uh, and those of us in agriculture recognize that there's a lot of changes in agriculture. But a few years back, I actually walked the show on a Saturday every aisle. And I was amazed, even as an ag person, what I was seeing, what was available in the technology. You know, you can go to Las Vegas for major innovative shows and new technology, but you can come here and see technology. And uh, we think about the smart homes. Well, we had smart farms. Uh, I had family involved in the drone business, and some of the first drones being utilized commercially were in agriculture. Mm-hmm. So agriculture is on the cutting edge, being innovative, being creative. So we'll have almost, as you said, 900 exhibitors. We have a waiting list for exhibitors to be here. I've attended a lot of farm shows as you, uh, indoor and outdoor. We're very proud of this one, but we don't take it for granted. We want to continue to make it the best it can be. As I talk with exhibitors and sponsors and patrons, uh, I always ask, if you were keen for today, what would you change? What would make it better for you? What would help you learn more, be successful in what you're trying to accomplish? So we're always trying to get feedback so we continue to make this show what it needs to be to serve the agriculture and agribusiness, but also tell the story of agriculture and help build and blend that rural-urban divide. Sure. And... Uh the estimate is about 300,000 people will come from around the world to see the latest in ag technology and also to be able to compare products side by side. That's another huge component of this. Everybody seems to uh, uh, save up some of the latest and greatest. It's the uh, the beginning of the year and uh, a great time to get out and uh, start making some purchasing decisions. It is, and it's uh, there are several aspects of this show. Sure, it's a business. People have products to sell. People come here to learn. They want to see what's new, what's innovative, what they can take back and use in their operations and be profitable. Also, there's a social aspect of it. Uh, it's, a, it's a place to come to see your friends. Uh, you'll see license plates in the parking lot from all states uh, all around the country, but also we'll have foreign visitors in here as well. Uh, and now with technology and Internet, uh, some of the events is broadcast around the world. So it is really a global type event in so many ways. It's good for our community. It's good for the economy. Uh, a lot of hotel rooms are utilized. Restaurants benefit from that. But the bottom line is to be a way, an opportunity to change ideas and information regarding today's agriculture, and which is a tremendous industry. Uh, it is in this state and in our country. And, and this show helps move that forward and advance it in many ways. Mm-hmm. So folks showing up for the show this year, what are some of the things that uh, are on the agenda that uh, they might not have seen in years past? Well, you'll see a lot of new exhibits out here, and one of the things we've been talking about is how we identify some of the startups, uh, new industries, new companies that might want to be engaged, and and that's good for them. It gives them visibility. It also provides opportunity to maybe for investors, and also you may be looking for some employees, so that's always good as well. But one of the key things, this will be the 54th. Uh, uh, National Farm Machinery Show here in Louisville, Kentucky at the Kentucky Exposition Center, but also it'll be the 51st uh, annual championship tractor pull. Mm-hmm. And we have that Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, as well as Saturday afternoon. And that's a tremendous sport in itself. You'll see people come here and you'll they they compete. Uh, they talk about third color tractor and the power that it has. So that's pretty entertaining too. And there is so much pride among those uh, drivers. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a unique special jacket that's just theirs. You have to be a driver to have one of those jackets. And the pride that they have with that show. And I remember, uh, I share this story. Uh, Growing up, coming to the farm machinery show and the tractor pull, it took me years and years to finally get tickets down front. 
And so for several years, I've had six tickets down front. When I came in this position, they asked me, you want to keep those tickets? I said, of course. It took me a long time to get them. I don't want to give those tickets up. <laughs> sure. So it's great to bring people. And, and we'll have farmers, we'll have producers, agribusiness leaders. We have government leaders at the state and local level as well as the federal level here. And a lot of national organizations, their people will be here as well. And uh, we'll have a lot of urban people we've invited to be in. This will be the first time we've ever been to the farm show. I know, based on the history, they'll be impressed Mm -hmm. when they see the innovation, the creativity, and the impact agriculture has on our economy. And we should mention that there's no charge to attend the show. Uh, Parking is $10 for cars and $20 for buses. But uh, because there is no charge, it's just a great opportunity for somebody who's just curious or uh, maybe has cabin fever this time of year just to get out and uh, poke around a little bit and, and educate themselves on what's going on in the ag community. We encourage that. You know, we work to encourage a lot of uh, FFA chapters to drive in. That's why we have that great prob- uh, price on the bus for free admissions after they've parked. And uh, also we encourage college students, ag clubs, uh, uh, some of the ag fraternities around the campuses to come in and be a part of this. We want to see this tradition continued. Uh, as a young person, that's how I became part of the tradition, growing up with FFA and, and college days and then farming, be able to come and be here. Uh, so it's an exciting time, and, and uh, uh, I'm proud of our staff team. It takes a lot of people to put this on. They've been working hard to get facilities in order, uh, updates. We are going through some renovations, and uh, we're very proud of this property, but thankful to our General Assembly. We now have some dollars here that we're making significant improvements, uh, infrastructure, uh, and uh, it's exciting to see those changes too, knowing that we're keeping the facility in place to serve both agriculture and non-agricultural events. And it takes both to make the facility work for all parties involved. Sure. Now, when you talk about the FFA, we want to mention that for the third year, Big Iron Auctions is partnering with the National Farm Machinery Show to conduct a special auction benefiting the Kentucky FFA Foundation. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, we've had several means of them. Uh, we inherited that program. As you said, this will be their third year. A great group of leaders are leading that. Uh, they've got a great staff team. In fact, they have a former state FFA president on their team, a man that I had a chance to work with when he was serving in FFA. So they're working closely with FFA Foundation. It's a great opportunity to uh, advertise online equipment and uh, and be able to run it that way. And, and so the FFA students will be here, and they'll have their iPads, and they'll be capturing information for those that want to list items to sell, but also those that might be interested in bidding. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, this bears mentioning, we talk a lot in the ag industry about what that next generation is going to look like and the impact that they're going to have on agriculture moving forward. This is a great opportunity to, uh, you know, there, there, there may be people that are down on the next generation or, or, or what have you, but to come out and see just the amazing stuff that they're doing and the educational foundation that they're building through events like this. That's right. It's exciting to see the young people engaged. You know, unfortunately, we've had our ups and downs in the marketplace on ag products. It's very easy to, to get down about that, but we have so much to be proud of. And I'm so excited. We talk about the FFA for a moment. Uh, uh, I've seen firsthand how it has changed the lives of young people. They have programs for the best and brightest. 
that's going to be successful no matter what. But they also have programs and opportunities through classroom instruction, but also uh, out-of-the-classroom opportunities to compete and all for those that haven't quite found their niche. They need that level of supervision. They need that mentor. They need that example of success. They need to learn how to win and to learn how to lose. But they also they need to see what's out there. And I have opportunity to see many young people that come through these shows, as I did as a young person. And, and it's like the, you'll see a side of agriculture that you may have not have seen back in your home community. Uh, the sky's the limit. It takes all type of individuals with educations and backgrounds and commitment and interest to fill the need of agriculture. And we're very blessed in this country that we're able to feed ourselves a good part of the world. I never worry about the innovation of Kentucky agriculture or American agriculture to be able to step forward to meet that demand in food production. Uh, My concern is that we continue to have a government and a society that recognizes the value of being able to feed ourselves. So we have the right and privilege to continue to do that and not be burdened with unnecessary laws and regulations that really serve no purpose. And uh, to see that, so see young people to, to take that up have the passion for that, want to be a part of that future is exciting to me. And that's why it's got us where we are, and I think that's what's going to take us to the next generations and those generations to follow. Sure. And when you talk about those buzzwords, passion and excitement, uh, you know, so many of the interviews that that we've done over the past few months with folks in the ag community, uh, there's a lot of people kind of hanging their heads a little bit about uh, the state of things with the commodity prices and tariffs and uh, uh, just rising costs and uh, just some of the challenges that they have. But uh, you come to this show, the National Farm Machinery Show, and there's just an acceleration about it. Uh, You know, everybody gets a chance to uh, look at kind of a fresh slate, see the latest in innovations and uh, and really kind of rally the troops a little bit little bit. It is. There's a great deal of enthusiasm, and it is contagious. I believe that. In many ways, it's like a family reunion, but there's a common bond between everybody. No matter what aspect of agriculture you're in, for your production, process, and transportation, uh, the engineering side, or agribusiness and selling, whatever it might be, there's that common bond. Mm-hmm. An understanding of the value uh, agriculture has for our economy, the importance of us being able to feed ourselves and the rest of the world. That common bond exists. So it's probably the only industry I know of that everybody goes out of their way to help their competition. Mm-hmm. That's unique. Yeah. But that's what's helped get us where we are today. So that's part of that family spirit that exists among all agriculture, regardless of their style and type of production, regardless of what state they come from or what country they come from. Uh, there's that spirit of cooperation, uh, just like neighbors in so many ways. Competitive, to have the fastest and the strongest and the most powerful tractor to pull, but also to have the best yields and, and the best livestock. But there's that willingness to help each other. And, and that's tremendous, and I hope we continue to see that can, in the future as we go forward. Sure. And to go back and uh, uh, just uh, hit on a little bit about what you were talking about, the tractor pull, the championship tractor pull presented by Syngenta is the nation's oldest tractor pull beginning in 1969. We want to let everybody know that the pull starts each night at 7 o'clock with an additional pull at noon on Saturday. Each pull lasts about three hours. And if you want to see more information on that, make sure you go to champpull.org. Again, that's Pool. Dot org. What are some of your fondest memories of, of sitting in there and watching the dirt fly there? 
Well, I can remember sitting up in the top sections as a young a young person, and 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 things were a little bit different then because the tractors would come down the track, and and you would see the the smoke come out and and, and all, and you see the ceiling tile start dropping, yeah, and just kind of gliding down through. It all has changed since then. Now mm-hmm. everything's contained, and everything uh, there's the way to catch all the fumes and the smoke. So and the tiles are already down, so you don't see that happening anymore. But the, to be able to observe that and, uh, and, and watch the competition, and regardless where it's blue, orange, green, or red, whatever color your tractor might be, to see that competition and that pride out there, just another competitive opportunity. I remember uh, being in Louisville many years ago and having some of our city friends come sit with us, and we had pretty good seats that year. And uh, one of the TV stations wanted to interview them. And they said, we don't know anything about their tractor pull. First one we've ever been. Uh, what do we say? I said, just tell them it's a farmer's derby. <laughs> <laughs> and they did, and they utilized it. So it's for agricultural people, but also non-agricultural people. Enjoy it, have fun with it. Uh, we'll have a lot of elected officials come here, and we want them to come. We want them to experience agriculture. We want them to see the value that it has in, in our economy, uh, the benefits of being able to feed ourselves, but the impact it has on young people. A lot of great life skills are learned in being part of this industry. They will serve these folks for many years to come, particularly young people. So it's just a wonderful opportunity. I'm just so proud that I have the opportunity. Someone growing up in agriculture, spending my career being blessed to be involved with agriculture, uh, to be able to be involved just a little bit, to help work with our staff team, uh, help lead our staff team, work with the, the exhibitors, uh, uh, work closely with the tractor pool organizers, uh, work with our promotion team, be able to meet and work with people like you and telling the story. Uh, that's just a joy every day. Many people don't have an opportunity. And to be able to grow up at the end of that gravel road and be continue to be involved in agriculture but be able to be involved with this end, hopefully in some way contributing through Kentucky venues to be able to see that continue. We have a wonderful board of directors. Our board, more than half of our boards made up of ag producers. Uh, they are passionate about that. Many of them, just like me, had the same experiences growing up. So there's a real passion from our board uh, to our management team and the individuals. So it's just not talk. Our people believe in it, and if not, they would not be here. Well, and I tell you what, if you're coming in for the show, you're going to see that firsthand. It's a first-class show, and uh, it's going to be uh, four days just jam-packed with excitement and innovation and uh, uh, just challenging the status quo in the uh, agriculture industry. So, David Beck, President and CEO of Kentucky Venues, we sure do appreciate you taking the time to tell us a little bit about the show, and uh, we just want to welcome everybody in and uh, hope everybody has a great great time while they're here in Kentucky. Thank you. Have a good day. Next up, we head out to Tulare, California, where the 52nd Annual World Ag Expo will be taking place February 12th through the 14th at the International Agri Center. More than 1,500 exhibitors will display cutting-edge ag technology over 2.6 million square feet of exhibit space. Last year, nearly 107,000 people came from 49 states and 63 countries to see the show. 
We're being joined by Carla Call, the 2019 Chairman of the World Ag Expo. And Carla, welcome into Fast Line Fast Track. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. And Carla has been a World Ag Expo volunteer since 2002 and also has served as chairman of the show's media committee. She was raised on a small hobby farm in northeast Missouri, raising purebred Yorkshire hogs and also participating in 4-H. Now she has her own hobby farm, raising dairy goats and making cheese for family and friends. And I would imagine, uh, Carla, that this really translates into the passion that you have for and the work that you do for the World Ag Expo? It does. Um, World Ag Expo is really a community event, and I am in a family that's been a long series of volunteers. That's how I got involved with it. Um, I'm the third member of our family to be the chairman of the World Ag Expo, so it definitely runs in our blood. And in this community of Tulare County, um, we all come out to put this on. Being volunteers is what sets our show apart from almost any other um, ag show. Again, the 52nd Annual World Ag Expo will take place February 12th through the 14th at the International Agri-Center in Tulare, California. The show will start at 9 a.m. local time each morning and run until 5 on Tuesday and Wednesday and then until 4 on Thursday. Uh, for folks heading to the show, general admission is $15 at the gate, and uh, the littlest farmers, ages 6 and under, are free. And for those who don't know much about the area, Tulare County is rated the number two ag county in the nation with a total gross production value of $7 billion in 2017. Its top three commodities are listed as milk, grapes, and oranges. So in other words, ag has a really phenomenal impact on the Tulare County economy and really puts you on a world stage. Most people don't consider... California and ag state. Those who are from other states don't really picture that, but we're the other California. We're right here in the central part of the state. And as you said, we're the second ag producing county in the country and the first ag producing county is here in the Central Valley as well. Uh, The entire community is tied to ag. Either you're actually in ag yourself or your business is a production or supporting business for ag. And so we are the perfect place to put on this type of Ag Expo. started 52 years ago with a couple of local farmers who went to another show and decided that this would be a great thing for our area to do. And we offer a variety of crop machinery that you won't find really at any other show in the world. So we have both the row crop uh, production equipment that you see in the Midwest shows, but then we have all of those West Coast um, products that you've been talking about, the oranges, the citrus, the grapes, the nuts, the things that we really specialize here, as well as dairy, of course. So the World Ag Expo started in 1968 as a Tulare Field and Row Crop Equipment Show. And even that show, uh, uh, which is small by today's standards, was pretty large, 157 exhibitors and 28,000 attendees. The next year it became the California Equipment Show, and in, in 1972 became the California Equipment Show and International Exposition, which uh, uh, it held until 2001 when it was changed to the World Ag Expo to showcase the truly global impact fact that uh, your area's agriculture industry has on the world economy. Uh, How does the show continue to evolve and meet that ever-changing ag industry, especially when we look at it on on a global scale? This year, our theme is harvesting technology, and I chose that because we are seeing more and more technology integrated into farm production. Um, Farmers and ranchers, dairymen are able to use a wide array of tech to increase their production levels, to make them more efficient, um, to help us with our um, 
constant problem of water, having enough water, having water resources distributed properly. So we offer um, all the technology that the world exhibitors have to farmers and ranchers to come in and see at our show. And at this year's show, attendees can research a lot of those new products and also network with industry-leading ag companies. Uh, just how important as uh, people need to band together to uh, really uh, uh, share best practices and resources, how important is that networking aspect of the show? It, it's vital to the show. We offer many seminars throughout the show. People can attend seminars on many different areas of production. Um, we have the top 10 new products that we feature. As you mentioned, many of those are tech um, related new products. You know, we always have a saying that people will say, what's new at the show? And we say, all 1,450 exhibitors bring their newest item here. So whether that's the smallest widget or the biggest piece of harvesting equipment, everybody has what's new, and that's what every farmers from around the world want to see and learn about, and they can take back to their countries, their states, to increase their production as well. You mentioned the top 10 new products competition. Uh, tell us a little bit about how many of those submissions you received this year and how did that competition shake out? So this year we had um, a record number of entries. We had over 70 entries into the top 10 new products. Um, we send that possibility out um, to all exhibitors, telling them if they have something that they believe is new and innovative. And then we have a team of ranchers, farmers, um, people in ag production get together and review the submissions, and they choose the top 10 new products. And so we have, again, a wide array. We have, you know, small uh, genetic testing um, aspects for dairy up to large pieces of equipment, um, and we will be focusing and highlighting on those throughout the show. And if anybody wants to know more information about the specific companies who were winners of that competition, be sure to visit the Expo News section of World Ag Expo website, which is www.worldagexpo.com. And uh, a minute ago, you had mentioned seven uh, seminars. Uh, there's going to be more than 50 seminars over those three days. It'll give uh, participants the opportunity to learn about trends such as uh, uh, irrigation, international trade, dairy, and more. So we want to make sure that everybody gets out there to check those out. There's also going to be a Toyota Tundra giveaway benefiting Valley Children's Hospital. So make sure you uh, get your chance at winning that. Uh, uh, anything else that uh, our listeners should uh, consider as they uh, show up to attend the show this year? Remember to wear your comfortable shoes. We're a huge show. We have um, 2.6 million square feet of exhibit space. We're primarily outside. Um so prepare for weather. Uh, we could get any kind of weather, but it's usually very nice. We usually have warmer temperatures than most of the country. Um, and really, you're going to be able to see the top products from around the world that are going to be able to help people with their production. And our um, Orange Jacket volunteers are going to give you the best customer service in the world. Well, Carla Call, uh, we surely do appreciate you taking the time to spend with us here on Fast Line Fast Track, and we wish you the best of success with the 2019 World Ag Expo. Thank you very much. 
Next up, we take you to Nashville, where on January 26th and 27th, thousands of fans of the hit television show The Dukes of Hazard convened to meet the remaining members of the original cast to celebrate the 40th anniversary of the show's first episode. There was an autograph signing, a screening of the first episode at the Texas Troubadour Theater, and a concert featuring Ben Jones and his band, Tom Wopat, and our buddy Wade Jennings, who sang a number of Waylon songs and led the cast and crowd in a rousing rendition of the show's theme song. I started out the day talking with a few Dukes of Hazard fans who braved the cold to stand in the autograph line and then moved inside to talk with each of the cast members about their thoughts about the Dukes at 40. All right, here in line at uh, the Dukes of Hazard 40th anniversary celebration, and we've got some folks that we found here from Iowa. Sir, tell us your name. Justin C. And Justin, how old are you? 46. 46. So you're right around my age. You grow up uh, in a time when, uh, man, Dukes of Hazard was everything. Yep, sure did. Uh-huh. Watched it every time it was on. Super. So whereabouts in Iowa are you from? Around Cedar Rapids. Uh-huh. So how far of a drive is that to Nashville, Tennessee for this? About 10 hours. Excellent. Now that's dedication. Now I should note he's standing in line here wearing his Case IH hat. A farm family, I assume. Yep. T- tell us a little bit about your farming operation. Well, I grew up on a dairy farm. We, uh, Well, we had hogs and and dairy cattle. We milked about 100 head of uh, cows and then farrowed to finish about 300 head of hogs. But now I left the farm and I work at Lynn Co-op Oil Company, which supplies fertilizer, chemicals, and that for the farmers. So, but grew up around that area, still live there. So uh, how did what you saw in the Dukes of Hazard jive with uh, life on the farm? It seems like they, they brought a lot of those same values with them. Yeah, yeah, that's what we, my wife and I talked about, that, that, you know, like Uncle Jesse sure made sure that the work got done and, and, you know, that's the way it was growing up. You made sure the work got done before you took off to go have fun or there was always something to get done. We're here with Lisa Lipkeman and uh, she is standing in this long line of folks getting in to uh, see the original cast of the Dukes of Hazard. And uh, what caught my eye about Lisa was her blue jacket she's wearing, uh, an FFA jacket. Tell us a little bit about your involvement with FFA. Well, I've always grown up living by a farm and helping our neighbor with this farm. Um, And my kids started going to a very small school, a high school of 20 kids. And I saw a need for my kids to be an FFA. I was an FFA um, in high school. So I wanted that for my kids. Um, So I became an FFA advisor and uh, here we are. That's awesome. We should mention that you are in Southern Illinois. What part of Southern Illinois? Uh, close to St. Louis, about 40 minutes southeast of St. Louis, um, Redbud, Illinois. So tell us a little bit about what uh, got you all the way from uh, Southern Illinois to uh, Nashville, Tennessee today. Well, today is my 42nd birthday. birthday. Uh, thanks. And um, my daughter is, our 19-year-old daughter, is a huge fan. And as you can see, we actually went to the uh, Dukes of Hazard homecoming um, back in 2012 in Virginia. So we have been diehard fans since we've been little, um, both my husband and I. We have the seven seasons, and we've passed that on to our children. They love it. And my daughter has, I think, almost anything you can have Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> Anything about the actual car. She's got a little car, but not a big one. Excellent. For all the stuff that's on TV today, you just can't make them like that anymore, can you? Nope, you sure can't. No, so that's our family nights. We watch Dukes of Hazard. Next, I was able to get in out of the cold and meet with each of the remaining original cast members as they signed autographs and took pictures with a steady stream of fans who began lining up hours before the doors opened at 10 a.m. I started out talking with Rick Hurst, who played the bumbling deputy, Cletus Hogg. Rick, thank you for taking the time to join us here on Fast Line Fast Tracks. I'm glad to be here. 
And this place, just to set the scene for you, is just mobbed with Dukes of Hazard fans. 40 years to the day of the airing of the first episode, could you ever have imagined the kind of just response that uh, there still is today to this show? It's wonderful. It's amazing. It was never anticipated. Um, but the, the people that really kept it alive are the fans. You know, they kept watching the show on television, on DVDs, and they taught it to their kids. So you have three generations now watching the show, which is just fabulous. And that was one of the things that our show was special, that the whole family could watch it together. You know, which is, you can't find that programming very often. And they, uh, so we owe a lot to uh, the pizza business on Friday night that let us all get together and watch Dukes. Tell me, what was it like when you auditioned for the show? How did it first come on your radar? And uh, the first time you read the script, what did you think? I heard the name when somebody, my agent said, I have an audition for you tomorrow on a show called The Dukes of Hazard," And... Not to be too dramatic, but I felt a chill. I felt something, that name just like rang a bell like I'd known it before. I mean, there was something very familiar about that name. And the way I got the audition uh, was actually through Chemistry 101. <laughs> I went to Tulane, and there was a fellow ahead of me in, in, in the theater department that uh, couldn't graduate. He couldn't pass a science course to graduate. Well, I helped him pass uh, chemistry 101, and lo and behold, some years later, he winds up as one of the producers for Dukes of Hazard. And it was because of him, Al Salzer, we're down, you were close to down. He lives in New Orleans. He called me in. He had me come in and read. He didn't cast me, the director, Mac McDougall, cast me. Uh, so, and then... It was there was an opening because Sonny Schroer had his appendix out, so my career on Dukes is based upon Chemistry 101 and Sonny Schroer's appendix. So how did you take the character of Cletus Hogg and make it your own? Uh, as physically as I could. The first day, first scene I shot was in episode number 11 called Money to Burn. And the very first day, the very first scene was me and Boss and Roscoe throwing a bag of money around. We're on the street and we're passing it like nobody, it's like a hot potato. We don't want it. And from that first scene, which we took and played with and ad-libbed and did all kinds of stuff, I said, oh, okay. So we are free here to play and to ad-lib and stuff. At that point, I said, we're a, a jazz trio, a comedy trio. How'd you guys keep it together through all those takes? <laughs> it's a strange thing. The, the, the crew and everybody learns not to laugh until they call cut. And then they'll laugh real hard when something's funny. But they have to hold it <laughs> until the sound, until the scene's over. What's it like being able to still put on that uniform after all these years and get to see all these fans and do these autograph shows and uh, j just stay out in the public eye? Well, it's... It's, it's gratifying. It's, it's very uh, unexpected and certainly uh, something that I'm very grateful for and don't take for granted. But it just feels like to me that this show, the American way of life that we portrayed, 
rang some bells in the country. And so in that sense, I'm very proud of the show. I'm very proud of what we stood for and stand for in the show. And the rest, just divine design or dumb luck, one or the other. And when you did it 40 years ago, you didn't know that this would probably be some of the most wholesome programming still available to uh, folks today. Never had an idea, never had a clue, except Ben had a clue, Ben Jones, he, who owns the Cooter stores all around uh, Tennessee, Gatlinburg, Nashville, and, and Lou Ray. He said, you guys watch, we're going to open up a little, we're going to open up a little store, and this show will still be popular 25 years from now. And we said, you're going to what and what? <laughs> And he was right. He was right. Next up, I had the pleasure of catching up with my pal, Sonny Schroyer, who played Deputy Ina Strait on the show. Welcome to the podcast. We appreciate it. Hey, Brant. God bless you. I appreciate you being on your show, buddy, bro. Yes, sir, man. Such a uh, such a genuine, just great guy, just a, a funny guy, and always uh, brought some comic relief to uh, what, what were some tense situations with the old Duke boys. Oh, man. I, I tell you what, the Duke boys just fooled me. I love the Duke boys, because you know, I love Daisy, too, you know, and yeah, yeah. you have to love the Duke boys before you love Daisy <laughs> and Uncle Jesse. I miss you, Uncle Jesse. No, we had, we had some good times. I, I remember going down the hill, and they fooled me going down the hill in the General Lee one time, and uh, they th- said they lost control, and I confessed to something or another. I don't know what I did, but I did it. <laughs> and, and then the brakes really wouldn't work, and the laugh was on everybody. <laughs> And uh, the Duke boys put a lot of food on your table over the years. Oh, man, yeah. I love those guys. I, I asked them to be my brother, and uh, they didn't say nothing. I don't have a brother or sister, but anyway, I love them. <laughs> so how cool is this for you to be able to show up to these shows and still 40 years later just see such an amazing following and people who just clamor for this stuff? Hey, buddy, come here. Yes, sir. This, this, is, this is the reason I'm here. T- tell them your name. Oh, Dwayne Perry. Dwayne, where are you from? Uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. Okay, super. Nice little drive to get here. Yes. What did you love about the Dukes? Oh, it, so I'm 40 myself. I didn't see the first episode until a couple years later. But the wholesomeness, the it transcends generations, you know, and it's not just something that you watch and forget. This is like Star Trek, Star Wars. There's few shows that have this impact on a culture, you know. How does that make you feel when you hear that? Ditto, ditto. I <laughs> didn't imagine that when you signed on for this 40 years ago, though, did you? I, you know, it's nice to be loved 40 years, you know. Yeah. I mean, really and truly, some families don't get along that long. Yeah. But I appreciate well, you. Thank you. Appreciate this is This is uh, Brant. He's got his own show. And uh, and I, th- this is a fan that I don't know. I just met him. But I feel like I met him because I've been in his living room or dining room or somewhere. Where's your TV? In the living room. <laughs> I <laughs> appreciate it. Tell me your name again. Dwayne Perry. Dwayne Perry, I yes, appreciate sir. you Pleasure. being on with Brant and I. Yeah, thank you. We appreciate it. I'm, I'm glad to have you on. So uh, He said it better than I could. <laughs> tell me your fondest re- recollections of just showing up to work with this cast every every day. Oh, yeah. You know, it brings back old memories. I, every time I, I see a script or uh, somebody mentions a uh, 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 a certain show, you know, I go back to that, and uh, somebody mentioned the Alien show, uh, and I remember that Sorrel Book, uh, Sorrel Book, and directed that show, and uh, he was telling me about. Uh, anyway, and Sorrel called me about three months before he died, 
and uh, he said, "Hey, Sonny, he said uh, the, you're on the you're on the you're on the New York Times crossword puzzle. They ought to pay you." And I said, "You reckon I ought to pay them, Sorrel?" He said, "No, no, no, no." I said, "Hey, we ought to do a reunion show, Sorrel." He said, "Yeah." He said, "I've been sick, but uh, but I could do it. I've been a little sick. I thought he had the flu or something." And he was dead about three and a half months later with uh, prostate cancer, and we we miss him very much. Sorrel was a fabulous fabulous man, and uh, we miss Sorrel. Yes, so what else are you doing these days? Well, you know, I, I do uh, I do two or three or four uh, personal appearances, and I do some fishing sometimes. Sometimes I do some catching, you know. <laughs> it's been so cold down in South Georgia that they've been, they ain't been biting lately. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. I have fun watching the scenery and thanking God for his beautiful country, you know. Yes, sir. We're here with Sonny Schwer, the best laugh on the Dukes, probably the best laugh in television. <laughs> I'm <Yes>. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. And, uh, thank man, thank you for all the memories. Thank you, buddy. God bless Next, I moved on to talk with Ben Jones, Crazy Cooter, who, along with his wife, Alma, put on this amazing show for the fans. We, we see each other a lot, but we haven't all seen each other at once for, I don't know, almost a couple of years now. So this is always special when we can get the whole cast together like this. And, uh, and there's no more special occasion than how many shows stay around for 40 years. And still, see all the kids here? They're just discovering the Dukes of Hazzard. They'll, they'll watch it and they'll understand when they grow up and they have kids, that's something they can share with their kids because the show simply does not age. I know when you were creating the show, never would you have imagined that uh, this day and age, 40 years later, it'd probably be the most wholesome thing and uh, probably the best thing that uh, people could tune in because there's nothing like it these days. Yeah, uh, there's no good, that, and we hear that all the time. There's, there's almost zero uh, shows that the family can watch together and not worry about what the kids are going to see or hear. This is a family show, and it's beloved in the heartland of America. It's become, we're part of that. You know, Dukes of Hazard is where it's at, and you can trust the show, you know. And it's still, see, beautiful girls are always beautiful. That doesn't get old. Slapstick comedy is, never gets old. Uh, fast cars flying through the air never gets old. Country music, if they like you, they like you forever. So we've got all those elements, plus a good message. Good guys always win. They always make the right moral choice. And nobody gets hurt, really. You know, nobody bleeds. Nobody cusses. So uh, we're proud of that. And I think that's, that is the reason. Just like you said, it, it fills a need that the country has. So uh, talking to Rick Hurst, he was telling me that uh, you had the foresight many, many, many years ago to uh, start doing some merchandising and told him that uh, you, you're, you're going to start a shop. There's going to be kind of a, a niche business around this. But I don't think anybody... Just taking a look at this crowd here today would have ever believed that it would have this kind of cult following 40 years later. Well, it, 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 con it continues to amaze me, and I'm delighted by it. You never know what the future holds. But, you know, here in Nashville in 2006, uh, we had a big festival called Duke's Fest. And according to the police here and to the newspaper, there were over 100,000 people at that event. We set a world record jump in the General Lee there. And we knew then, there were so many kids there, that this isn't going anywhere. That uh, 
we're, you know, we're delighted with that. It's Hazard Nation. We're working on a documentary film now called Hazard Nation, which is about this phenomenon. Because it's not just here in America, and it's certainly not just in the South. It's all over. And it's all over the world. The show's been shown in over 50 countries, uh, different languages. I speak Japanese and Spanish and French. I didn't even know I could do that until I saw myself doing it. But it, it, it's a gift that keeps giving. You know, it's funny you say that because I heard you on WSM with uh, Bill Cody talking about how when this cast came together that uh, you were the Southern guy. You brought that Southern element. What uh, what specifically did were you able to bring to that show that helped kind of shape the direction of it? Well, I think, uh, and Sonny, Sonny Shore, who played Enos, from Valdosta, Georgia. But I grew up in the South, and you know, without any electricity or indoor plumbing. And I fell in love with the South and had traveled and worked on, all over on the railroad and driven trucks all over the South. And, and uh, it's just, you know, that's, my, that's where my soul is. It is my culture. And it's, it's a very great, great uh, tradition to be a part of. So I just love the South, and I always, so it was a natural for me. I didn't have to make anything up. I just got out of bed and wore what I wore, <laughs> usually, you know. It's like I say, was saying, you know. Uh, you can look at this show, and nothing's changed from where I live. We live in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia now, and people up there drive old cars on dirt roads and, play country music and gals look great and wear those daisy dukes and you know we listen to country music and uh it's all the same you know uh wear ball caps blue jeans work shirts cowboy boots nothing's changed we could have filmed the dukes of hazard there last week how fortunate are you to be able to not many shows i would imagine can keep the cast together and keep having reunions and be as close as you guys seem to be you generally seem to like each other Oh, we do. And, you know, we, well, like I say, we become a family, and families have their differences, and families have their squabbles and fights. But when it comes push to shove, we get together. We band together. We're all, you know, it's a blessing, really, to have had this and to really enjoy and appreciate the other members of the cast. And we've all realized early on, the show was huge back when we were doing it, so it changed all our lives. But this now, um, 40 years later, this is a blessing. We're still able to do this, and it, you know, it doesn't keep us young, but it keeps us feeling young and acting young. That's the same thing, pretty much. Well, Mama Alma over here is giving me the uh, cutter short sign here, so we're going to wrap it up. Can we get one last uh, radio call from Crazy Cooter? Breaker one, breaker one. Might be crazy, but I ain't dumb. Crazy Cooter coming at you. Hey, fast line, fast track. Y'all got your ears on out there? Come on. I'm down. I'm gone, y'all. 10 4. Well, we thank you so much. Ben Jones, you guys have created an institution. We appreciate it. <laughs> thank you. Well, the fans created the institution. And they're going to put me in an institution before long. Next up, Luke Duke himself, Tom Wolpat, where we talked about the incredible turnout at the Duke celebration. It's insane. Uh-huh. What do you think about this 40 years later? Did you ever imagine 40 years ago that this would be the. Uh... No. Uh-huh. So, what's your hope for the next 40 years of this? Oh, cripes. This will be around long after I'm gone. You know, it's been a lot of fun, and, and we all still enjoy it, and, and we enjoy the fans a great deal. It's taken on a life of its own. Um, it, like I say, after we're all gone, it'll still be going. Next, I caught up with just about every schoolboy's crush during the late 70s and early 80s, Catherine Bach, Miss Daisy Duke. 
thank you for taking the time with us. Well, of course. Happy to be here. You've just spent a whole day autographing for fans from around the country, probably around the world. What, what is it like to just see the enthusiasm 40 years later? I can't get over it. Yeah. And um, I have to say, it really it makes me happy because everybody enjoyed it and got it, you know, understood, you know, that this was pure entertainment and it was uh, something that you could laugh at and didn't have to worry about. I'm on the Television Academy and I see a lot of things today on television that, you know, you'll be laughing, you'll be relaxed and something terrible will happen, like they'll rip somebody's face off and, it, you know, so you don't get to enjoy the comedy as much. You don't get to relax. And this was a show that the whole family could sit around and relax and mm -hmm. And I had people praying around the table and saying, um, you know, you know, even even the bad guys were family. Yeah. You know, Sorrel Book and Jimmy Bass. I mean, are not really bad guys, but you know, they were always in opposition to the Duke family. And we just all got along and had fun, and really appreciated working with those guys. You know, these great, great character actors that have been working since the '30s, and Denver Pyle, who. Yeah. You know, I was so close to him. One, cool, one of the coolest things about the Daisy Duke character, just how she empowered women, really a whole generation of women that saw, here's a strong lady that could take care of herself. Well, that was uh, something that I'm proud of because, you know, I just want people to know you can be, um, you know, you can be tough, competitive, have a job, and be feminine and sexy and soft, too. You know, it all sort of, you don't have to cut off one side of yourself to to accomplish your, your goals. And you did it all well. Well, I appreciate you saying that. That's really nice. I'm really glad you're here, and, um, and we got more to come. Yeah, well, thank you so much for taking the time with us. We really appreciate it. You bet. My pleasure. And then finally, boy, do I have a story to tell here. You know, on uh, Friday nights, uh, you used to watch uh, every week as uh, Bo and Luke uh, got themselves in, into some predicaments and tried to get themselves out of some predicaments. And uh, I find myself into some predicaments now and then. And uh, this week I had to uh, call on Bo Duke himself to get me out of a predicament. And uh, uh, I went down to interview all the cast members of the Dukes of Hazard last weekend. And I got back to the studio to process the audio and found out that uh, uh, Johns wasn't in there. And I knew right off the bat that I would have a lot of mad Dukes fans if I didn't uh, have have John, John Schneider included. So, John, uh, from the bottom of my heart, I know that uh, you got a busy week going on here. You were, sure, well, you were just... Well, it, used to happen, it used to happen even with the set record. So it's not just... Yeah. So, hey, I'm delighted to be here. We had a great time at the... Uh, in Music Valley there at the, uh, at the event center. It was so great to see everybody, especially little, like... Four and five-year-old Dukes fans in 2019. Yeah, now, who could have predicted that in 1979? It's just amazing. I don't think, I don't think anybody would have. And, and you know, speaking to some of the other cast members, we talked about this as well. Did you guys even realize or even think that uh, 40 years ago you were putting together a show that would uh, probably be the most wholesome thing and uh, uh, nothing like it on television in 2019? Well, no, I, I you know, we. We knew it was a popular show. I loved it. You know, I was only 18, so I was a fan of the show and on the show at the same time. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but nobody could have predicted that it would last this long. And, you know, I, I thought about it a lot. When we did Dukes of Hazzard, uh, I Love Lucy was only 30 years old. Uh -huh. 
and we're, we're now we're 40 years old. And, and people used to say, well, you know, I love Lucy and the Andy Griffith show will never go away. They'll always be the most popular shows ever. Well, I honestly think now that Dukes has surpassed that. Yeah. Uh, I don't think 40 years after I Love Lucy, you could have you could have gotten 10,000 people in a parking lot or however many thousand people we had there. I mean, it was unbelievable. There were people lined up all day, two hours, three hours before we got there from the from the front door of the convention center all the way past the troubadour into the into the parking lot near Cracker Barrel. <laughs> yeah, it's unbelievable. I heard uh, stories of people waiting up to 10 hours to get in there to get those autographs. Oh, yeah, and what, what what nice people. You know, Dukes of Hazard people are great people. I didn't hear I didn't hear any crying. I didn't hear any anybody's voice raised. I didn't hear any any problems whatsoever. When you've been waiting in line for four, five, six hours, it's easy to have a short fuse. Yeah, for sure. And it was it was just great. Dukes of Hazard people, car people, are are fantastic people. So I had a ball. I'm, I'm excited about our event in April. We're we're selling tickets like crazy. We're getting new new guest stars every day, and I'm I'm very excited about that. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. The Duke's 40th anniversary celebration is going to continue April 6th and 7th at your place, John Schneider Studios in Holden, Louisiana. Uh, it's going to include a meet and greet, a Duke's watch party, carnival rides, a stunt show, and uh, obviously plenty of good music. So, uh, well, oh, what, what? Great music. Hey, can I say, Alicia, can I say who our guest star is yet? Now we're going to have a special appearance. I can't tell you who it is yet. Darn it. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. We're going to have a great, great friend of the Dukes is going to be on stage Sunday night. And uh, when I can tell you, I will. But uh, I can't tell you. Excellent. Well, we'll stay t- <laughs> so we'll stay tuned for that. And in the meantime, if people want to keep checking back, they can go to johnschneiderstudios.com and make they sure. They can, or they can get the free app. I've got a free app that will take them to everything. And on the, on the free app, uh, they'll have the schedule. If you go to the studio, go to johnschneiderstudios.com. You have to hunt the schedule down if you go get my free app and it'll just pop right up every time you open it up so if you've got an if you've got a phone whether it's an android or an iphone doesn't matter go to the app store look up john schneider and then download the free app and it'll uh, it'll tell you everything that's going on and it'll take you to the store as well and we should also mention uh, one of the coolest things that you do is you really engage with the fans uh, via social media, Facebook. You spend a lot of time on Facebook live chats, and uh, man, it's amazing how many people turn out for those. Oh yeah, well I, I love it. It's it's uh, you know there are two kinds of people, and my my mother was the other kind. She she did not embrace the internet, mm-hmm. and because she did not embrace the internet, there was a, a gap that she never really repaired between her and her grandchildren. Uh-huh. So I don't want to be that that older person that kind of howls at the moon and says, "Oh, this new stuff is what was uh, what was that great Adam Sandler movie? Foosball is of the devil." Yes, right. Uh, <laughs> the Water Boy. Uh, I don't. I don't. Water Boy. Yep, there you yep, go. Yep. Yeah, I don't want to be that guy. So I try to learn uh, everything I can about social media because I realize what a what a great way it is for me to keep in touch with those folks who. Not only watch Dukes, but listen to the music, or maybe they watch Smallville or the Haves and Have Nots. But really, truly, those are the people that, that have kept me working all these years. So, in a very real way, those are the people I work for. So, I need to keep in touch with them and see what it is that is on their mind and how they're thinking, what they're thinking. 
uh, I'd be foolish not to. I, and I enjoy it. You know, I really, I really enjoy trying to find the darn button on my phone. <laughs> something that just goes away. So how did Bo Duke change John Schneider's life? Um, well, it, it paid off my first car right away, which was great. Uh, <laughs> uh, my per diem was, was great. Um, it, being Bo Duke changed my life in, in many ways. Uh, it did make it so I could have a meeting. You know, if I wanted to pitch a movie or if I wanted to, to uh, talk about music, it, it made it so I could have just about any meeting that, that I wanted to have. However, I do think once I got in the room, it made it a much harder sell. Mm-hmm. I had to, I didn't have to work as hard to get in the room, but once I got in there, I had to work twice as hard as, as people that, uh, even people who nobody knew at all. Mm-hmm. There's a there's an assumption there's a uh, there's a belief that uh, that if you do a really good job as your character, people believe that John Wayne showed up to work on a horse. John Wayne, my understanding is John Wayne felt much more comfortable on a boat. Uh, people believed that uh, Andy Griffith was a lighthearted, fun sheriff full of wisdom from uh, from Mayberry. You know, people, the, the better job you do, the more people believe that's who you are. Uh, even the powers that be in uh, in Hollywood, California. So I'm a, I'm a guy, I'm actually from Westchester County, New York. And uh, there is a lot of what Bo Duke is that is me. I am fairly impetuous. I am a before-I-look kind of a guy. I'm an all-in guy, just like Bo Duke. Mm-hmm. But I'm from New York. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And uh, had I had I been a, a, an unknown actor from Westchester County, New York, I think people in Hollywood would have thought better of me. But because I was on the Dukes of Hazard, they didn't. But yeah. that's okay, as we've already clarified. I don't work for them. I work for the folks who showed up in Music Valley to celebrate the 40th anniversary of the Dukes of Hazard. I work for the thousands of people, hopefully, who will be showing up at Bo's Extravaganza, who've had Dukes of Hazard and, and my music as part of their lives for the last 40 years. I could care less what the people in Hollywood think. So when you look at the show, everybody had such great chemistry from that first episode that they just uh, screened the other night uh, all, all the way through, even when you guys took a step back for, for a short time and then came back, uh, you picked up right where you left off. To what do you attribute that chemistry? Um, honestly, and Guy Walker. Phil Mandelker was the one of the executive producers of Dukes. Uh, and he and Guy Waldron, who created Dukes, and felt tremendously, uh, he, he directed all of the rehearsals when we were uh, testing, screen testing for Dukes. It was Guy that all of us had constant contact with. And they were, they were not trying to cast actors. This is very rare. They were casting chemistry. They, they didn't want the best. They weren't looking necessarily for the best person for each individual role. They were looking for the best group of community folk who had great chemistry together. They were, they were looking for that ensemble, not for that individual. So I attribute the, the magic of the Dukes of Hazard chemistry to those two gentlemen. They were unbelievable. And the only other person I've seen cast chemistry is Tyler Perry. Mm-hmm. And 
when you watch the haves and have-nots, you see chemistry. Now, in our in our regard, it's like vindictive, nasty people, you know, at each other's throats. But it's still chemistry. Mm-hmm. You can still see a a need for the relationship. And in Dukes of Hazard, one of the one of the things I think that is is the uh, the flagship of Dukes of Hazard is the importance of community, the importance of your friendship the importance of your word being your bond. Uh, And you don't really, it's not only that you don't see that much anymore, you didn't see that much then either, unless it was a Western. (laughs) You know, in the Western land, and in in Westerns, your word had to be your bond. In Westerns, you you had to depend upon the community in order to get your cattle to market, in order to get your your uh, your ranch working. You needed other people, and in Dukes of Hazard, we all need one another. Not so much in uh, in other kinds of uh, storytelling. Really, we we a lot of other storytelling is kind of individuals, more like uh, uh, a, a police officer out on their own, and they've got to they've got to do it. You know, they live alone in a hotel somewhere. Or they've lost their family, and they're alone. They're alone. They're alone. And there's not that much dependence upon community. Well, in, in Hazard County, there is a tremendous dependence upon community, just as there really is in life. We really do depend upon our neighbors far more than than uh, people in the in the city may want us to believe. Earlier, you were talking about uh, the music, and uh, you've been playing more gigs lately. Really, have gotten back into the music. I should mention, just as we uh, are taping this in a few hours, you're going to uh, step into that hallowed circle and probably my favorite place on earth, the Grand Ole Opry. Uh, what's oh, that? Yeah. What's that journey been like for you? Oh, it's been wonderful. I've, I've missed the music, and I didn't even really realize how much I've missed the music. But uh, Alicia really kind of nudged me back into it, and I'm so glad. I'm so glad she, she could recognize where the, the hole in my heart, where my guitar used to be, mm-hmm. uh, more so than I could. And last year, in 2018, we actually released a, a song every Tuesday of 2018. And not so, we did 52, but not only that, we went back and redid my Greatest Hits album from uh, from the MCA days. And that was called uh, John Schneider's Greatest Hits Still. And then, because we were winding up, uh, we knew that we'd wind up. But during the holidays, we decided to do a Christmas album. So we did that as well. So actually, in 2018, we recorded and released 72 songs. Wow. I know. It's crazy. I'm going to do two of them tonight. Uh, Too Close for Comfort, which is a a wonderful duet with Heidi Newfield from... from, uh, formerly of Trick Pony. Mm-hmm. So she and I are going to sing on the stage tonight. And uh, then I'm going to do the, the current single, which is called Walk a Mile in My Shoes. Nice. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I can't, uh, I can't wait. I love playing the Opry. <laughs> and then during other months in the year, the Opry moves uh, to its original place, and mm-hmm. we do the, uh, we do the, uh, the Ryman. Uh, but that's going to be a, a couple of months from now. But I, I, I love it, and I love that Nashville has, has uh, welcomed me back. Because, um, you know, I had quite a, quite a romance with Nashville in the 80s. We mm-hmm. did, I did a lot of music. So it's, uh, it's nice that they didn't go, Nashville didn't collectively say who. They opened their arms and said, welcome home. Yeah, well, you belong there. You do a great job with it. Thank you. Well, I love a good story. And, 
to me, that's what it's all about. Whether it's a television show or a movie or a screenplay or a song, it's all about telling a good story, mm-hmm. finding a good story and telling it well. So that's what I that's what I work on is 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 uh, telling a good story well. And in, in music, there's such great writers here in Nashville that uh, that it's it's been fairly uh, it's easy to find a ter- terrific song in Nashville, but mm-hmm. you just have to know where to look. Yeah, for sure. So in the vein of telling good stories, what's on the horizon for John Schneider Studios in 2019 and beyond? Well, the biggest thing is, of course, Bose Extravaganza. Uh, that'll be April 6th and 7th, like you said. That's for my birthday. I'll be jumping at General Lee on the 7th, and that's uh, the day before my birthday, which is the 8th. And then immediately after that, we're, we're touring around the country. We're doing a... Uh, a, uh, a tour now that that uh, is uh, my one of my favorite things to do is to tour around with the band. So we'll do that. But in the summertime, which oddly enough, you usually shoot Christmas movies in the summertime, mm-hmm. and this that's what we'll be doing this summer at the studio. We're doing a a movie called Christmas Cars, which is in honor of the 40th anniversary of the Dukes of Hazard. And we'll be filming that all at John Schneider Studios. And it will be a, a movie for the whole family, especially if your family enjoyed or still enjoys the Dukes of Hazard. I promise you're going to uh, you're going <laughs> you're going to love this. I just finished writing it actually yesterday. So uh, that process is uh, it's about 115 pages long right now. When we film it, it'll be about 95 pages long. So I'm going to cut some stuff out of it. And then we'll uh, we'll hit it hot and heavy in, in uh, June or July of the summer of this 2019, and then we'll have it out for December 1st. Excellent. Well, John, I tell you what, man, I, I love your passion for all this stuff, and I hope we can stay in touch on it. And anytime you want to uh, share what you're working on, you are definitely welcome. You've got a platform here anytime. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Folks, just go, go get my app. It's the easiest thing. Get the free app. And before we go, let's let's make sure you, you that you press the red button. Did we record this interview this time? <laughs> I've been watching the sound waves the whole time. Oh, I can guarantee there. you that. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, my friend. You have a great day. And, uh, maybe you can come to Bose Extravaganza. Uh, we'd love to have you. Uh, we'd love to do it. We'll stay in touch on that uh, through you and Alicia. We'll uh, we'll see what we can work out. Well, we certainly want to thank the cast members of the Dukes of Hazard for coming on Fastline Fast Track to talk about that show's incredible history. And now we move on down to the Ernest Tubb Records Shop, 417 Broadway in downtown Nashville, Tennessee, to the Legend Stage, where we meet up with our buddy Dustin Collins, who sang our theme song, Working Man. That song is getting ready to go to country radio here in the next couple weeks so we encourage you to uh, call your radio stations after february 8th and uh, request that song and we're going to play it for you in its entirety here in just a moment but uh, we want to welcome in dustin to fast track yeah thanks for having me man man you're from bardstown kentucky just down the road from us uh, in our corporate offices in buckner you've got a farming background which is instrumental in the creation of that song working man uh, which is set to go to country radio here in a couple of weeks. You also have a song called The Barn. Tell us about your life on the farm and how it's kind of shaped what you do. Oh, uh, man, I got a, my, my grandfather owned a, a tobacco farm out in Stanford, Kentucky, and she's remember summers out there and, 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 and all that, you know, just growing up out in the middle of the, of the country. That's, you know, not much else to do but go out there and find snakes in the creek and hang out and, you know, 
Uh, sneak a sneak a home home rolled cigarette every now and then make you throw up. Uh, <laughs> so so what made you uh, what, what, when you picked up the guitar to sing? What, what where did you draw that inspiration from to, uh, to 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 sing songs about the farm and about country life? I was just the the way I grew up, man. It's um, the only thing I know how to write is is the things that I've lived in my life and and seen the the people around me. So it was. Just came natural to sing country music, mm-hmm. and your dad and your uncle played country music and recorded, from what I understand. And uh, you spent much of your time in high school. Shout out to Nelson County High School. Go Cards, uh, man! You hold up in That's your bedroom. That's the only time you'll ever hear me say that. <laughs> uh, yeah, you got to understand that big Kentucky Louisville rivalry to, uh, to 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 understand where he's coming from there. But you spent most of your time just hold up in your bedroom, learning to play guitar. What, what were who were some of your influences? Man, I was, I was influenced from uh, Hank, Hank Williams Jr., Waylon Jennings, all the way out to uh, uh, Garth and Alan Jackson. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I've listened to songwriters my whole life. I've, you know, Towns Van Zandt, I really, really liked and um, still like. You know, just, I mean, the American songwriters and just country music has, has been such an influence in my life and everything I've ever done. Mm-hmm. So how did you take it from uh, playing in the bedroom to uh, to getting down to Nashville? It was a long road down here. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, man, we we played gigs in every every honky tonk in the southeast, Midwest. Been all the way to Florida, up to North Dakota. Yeah, you know, we're, we're still still rolling on it, heading to New York, and just getting as many as we can. And um, you know, we we had that real good song for us last year, "Cold Dead Hands," and and that's kind of what prompted my move to Nashville to come down here and. Mm-hmm. Uh, Right with uh, you know the best songwriters in the world down here. Mm-hmm. And your latest project—it's been a while debuted high on the Billboard charts and features a, a duet uh, with Colt Ford, uh, who's Average Joe's Entertainment distributed. How'd you get hooked up with him, and what's that experience been like? Uh, it's, it's been wild. I, I say this all the time: uh, the guys at Average Joe's have just been class acts the whole way through our whole relationship, through the whole thing. Uh, we had the album already done. We were looking for a distributor and. Um, had some meetings with several labels here in town, and, and uh, we just felt like that was the best fit. We had a song we thought Colt would like. Uh, we sent it over to him and asked him if he wanted to spit a verse on it, and he said, yeah, uh, let's do it. And, um, you know, I, I think I was out on the road, and they sent me a, a track with Colt on it. That uh, was my song, and I was like, this is really cool. So uh, uh, that's how we got Bonfire songs up and rolling. Uh-huh. And you've also had the opportunity open uh, for some of my favorites, man. Tanya Tucker, Jamie Johnson, one of my all-time favorites, Aaron Watson. Who, 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 uh, what were those experiences like, man? It had to be pretty surreal to uh, to, to to be able to uh, share a stage with them. It's unreal. Mm-hmm. Just the, the professionalism you see out there with these guys that go out there night after night after night and just are smashing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and getting to share the stage with, especially like Tanya. Mm-hmm. You know, she's a legend. Mm-hmm. So so getting to just step out on that stage, you know, a sold-out show in Branson, Missouri was, was a, mm-hmm. more than you can ask for. Yeah. You know, and, and you go out and get to, uh, get a good response from, from her fans and, you know, whoever you're able to draw out a little bit. And, um, you know, it was just it was real surreal for me to get to open up. Like Tanya Tucker was one of the biggest ones, and mm-hmm. uh, I think I got to open up for Casey Donahue, who's a been, I've been a fan of his music my the entire since I was I was 16 years old. Mm-hmm. So it, it's been really cool and and just really strange to get to 
sit back and, and think about the things that we're doing because at the time we're doing it we're you know it's just such a grind and a rush you know we're in another town trying to get to the next town and you just really just trying to get through the shows without messing up and it's it's just wild to sit back and think about this last year of what we were able to do and hope we we're able to do this year now I want to make sure that uh, that we mention that on Friday, February fifteenth, you're going to headline the Fastline National Farm Machinery Show after party at Bourbon Hall downtown Louisville. Uh, that show is also going to feature Jenny Carr and Kevin Jaggers. What does it mean to you to be able to come home and uh, on your home turf and be able to headline a show right in the middle of the farm show? Uh, it's going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jenny and Kevin are two of the most talented people I've ever met in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jenny's been. You know, she was down here in Nashville cutting records when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it, it's, and, and and oddly enough, Jenny, one of the first shows, I think it was the first show I ever played in Louisville, Kentucky. She let me come up and open for her. Mm-hmm. And so just getting to come home and, and play with my friends is, is such an awesome thing for us to get to do. And, and the Farm Machinery Show and working with you guys has been a dream come true for me. So mm-hmm. I'm pumped about it. Growing up just down the road from Louisville, did you come up and go to the farm show as a kid? I've been a couple times. Uh, uh, Papa always wanted to go up there and look at tractors. and uh, we, We've been a few times throughout my life. Mm-hmm. So looking forward to uh, getting in front of that crowd here. You're going to be uh, uh, signing autographs. The three of you guys are going to uh, make your way to the Fast Line booth that Friday morning. And uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, we're going to come up. We're going to. Uh, we might bring an acoustic guitar, sing some songs a little bit. Maybe uh, come say hi to everybody. If you're at the show, come up to the fast line booth. Come talk to us. We got that uh, big fast line after party. Uh, I think it's going to start about seven or eight o'clock at the Bourbon Hall in Louisville, Kentucky, right across from the Omni Hotel. So if you come up to the autograph booth, we'll be handing out. You know, some some flyers that, that we'll be autographing and passing out to everybody. And if you bring that flyer to the show, you're going to get a $5 off ticket. So you, the, the show tickets are 15 bucks, but if you get the flyer, they're only 10 mm-hmm. Can't beat that deal at all. And uh, if you're a longtime attendee of the National Farm Machinery Show uh, and you remember the old Coyotes downtown, this is an area that uh, used to be the old Coyotes down in that neck of the woods there. So uh, uh, to, to revive some great country music down there where, where some legends have played, that's pretty awesome. It's a great place. It looks great in there. I, I remember when it was Coyotes and well, they used to have a – the under 21 night they used to let yeah. loose bands on us and you, you can get in there and did it many times listen to the bands that was that was a o'malley's corner yeah they've made it look really good in there i mean it's it's classy in there yeah yeah so if you're coming in town for the national farm machinery show make sure you check us out stop by the fast line booth and say hi uh we'll be there all, all the days we'll be uh, cutting some spots for the fast track podcast and uh, uh we'll have these guys in definitely uh uh stop by and say hi and uh uh, make a few friends here. So, what does 2019 look like for Dustin Collins? A lot of travel, man. We're a lot of travel. Uh, we're going to be uh, organizing a new tour. We're going to be uh, also doing some international touring this year, uh, heading down to Central America and Mexico, playing down there, and uh, we're going to be recording new songs, mm-hmm. yeah, new you, songs, and uh, visiting radio stations. You just recently uh, spent uh, part part of. Uh, December in in Belize. Uh, t- tell us a little bit about what that was like. It sounds like they uh, have a real appetite for country music there. Yeah, you would have never thought that. Usually, you go to a you know Caribbean type place, you hear a lot of that Caribbean music. 
but apparently they love some whaling down there. <laughs> They're all about whaling and Hank, and I, I had a good good uh, time down there with, with all those folks. Uh, now you're talking about, about going back. Any uh, any uh, possibility that we're going to see you become a, uh, a, a, a resident of Belize? I sure hope so, one day. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so anybody who uh, is listening here, make sure you check out DustinCollinsMusic.com to find the latest in tour schedules and uh, uh, information about things going on in his career. You can also jump off from there and uh, uh, buy his music. You know, it's good to listen to it on YouTube. That's all right. I do it all the time. But make sure you uh, uh, you download that stuff, buy some stuff so he can continue to eat and pay his mortgage. Every record sold. Gets put into the gas tank of the van. <laughs> it's just the way it goes, man. Also, check them out on Facebook and Twitter and uh, iTunes, Amazon, Spotify, just about everywhere. Man, you're everywhere these days. I'm trying as hard as I can. Man, so we, we genuinely appreciate the uh, the partnership with you. And uh, and that uh, song, Working Man, is just lights out. And I just can't wait to uh, start flipping on the, uh, the the radio stations here and, uh, and, and hearing it in, in heavy rotation. I, I I can't wait either, man. All right, so uh, Dustin Collins here, live from the uh, Legend Stage, Ernest Tubb Record Shop, four seventeen Broadway in downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, we're gonna let him get set up there, and uh, he's going to uh, to perform a few numbers for you. Hey guys, I'm Dustin Collins. I just want to take a minute to uh, thank Fastline for having me out and uh, giving me a shot at the uh, theme song. This first song I'm going to be playing is about living out from the country. It's uh, called Rowdy. Grew up on Boone's Farm Marlboro Lights. We snuck in the games on Friday nights. Yeah, he thought that I was crazy. I'd push start my truck rolling down a hill. And hope like hell my daddy couldn't tell And he thought I was lazy Two twelves bumping in a parking lot Thirty bush light cans was a perfect spot For some kids out from the county Got my first kiss, my first black eye Still right back up to whip that guy Learn real quick not to be so mouthy Way out here we were young we were rowdy a couple kegs of beer a few pickup trucks a field of hay when the day was done just living for a moment when the cops showed up it was running high Jumping barbed wire fences in the dead of night Every scar I got was worth it Two twelves bumping in a parking lot Thirty bush light cans was a perfect spot Some kids out from the county Got my first kiss, my first black eye Stood right back up and whipped that guy Learned real quick not to be so mouthy out here
was bumping in a parking lot. Thirty bush light cans was a perfect spot. That's the sounds of Dustin Collins from the Ernest Tubb Record Shop Legend Stage. And now we've asked Dustin to sing another song for us, one of his newer singles called Heaven Knows. Sit back and enjoy this one because it's amazing.
Again, that was Dustin Collins, Heaven Knows, from the Ernest Tubb Records Shop Legend stage. And now we want to share something really special with you. This is the full radio version of our podcast theme song, Working Man, sung by Dustin, written by Dustin, and produced by In Demand Nashville producer Bill McDermott, who has worked with just about everybody in the business. And, uh, uh, man, it was just so much fun getting to see this thing come from conception to uh, uh, what is about ready to hit radio on Facebook. February 8th. So again, uh, uh, once that date comes, make sure you call your local radio stations and request Working Man by Dustin Collins. And if they don't know about it, uh, make sure you turn them on to it so we can get that thing on the air. But uh, without further ado, it's the world premiere of Working Man. John Beard to New Holland. Just look at the load I'm hauling. Hard work. I hit it harder. Ain't nothing new for a backwoods farmer. Sun up to sundown, backing up traffic all the way to town. Camo hat and a farmer's tan. Cause I'm a working man. I'm in the truck back on the road Early to rise when there's dollars to make I learned it all from my old man Built our house with his bare hands When he got back in 68 
Well, there it was, the world premiere, the full radio version of Working Man, the Fast Line, Fast Track podcast theme song. And we want to thank Dustin Collins and crew for doing such an amazing job with that. And now, as promised, we want to close out today's show with a tribute by Way Jennings, who was the first musical guest on Fast Line, Fast Track. Again, Way lost his father, Terry last weekend and so uh the next day at the dukes of hazard uh, uh, reunion concert he performed this song a wayland song jack of diamonds which was terry's favorite wayland song so we leave you uh, today with this tribute way jennings paying tribute to his father terry jennings singing the wayland jennings song jack of diamonds this goes out to my father and i love you daddy
We want to thank you for joining us here on this episode of Fast Line Fast Track. Come back for the February 14th edition when we'll take you to the opening of the National Farm Machinery Show in Louisville. We'll also take you back to the Legends stage at the Ernest Tubb Record Shop in Nashville for music from Shane Owens, whose most recent project was produced by none other than Randy Travis. He sings country music the way it was meant to be sung, and you won't want to miss it. So come along and bring a friend. You've been listening to Fast Line Fast Track, presented by Fast Line Media Group. To learn more about Fast Line's customer-focused marketing solutions, visit FastLineMediaGroup.com and check out our brand websites, FastLine.com, BigAg.com, and PinkTractor.com. If you have topic suggestions for future podcasts, drop us a line at Brent.Adams at FastLine.com. Yeah.